I'm interested in seeing where the whole anti-corruption efforts go. Will financial crime still be a national security priority? Will tackling corruption still be a national security priority under a potential Trump presidency? That I am not completely sure. We don't like corrupt politicians like Joe Biden. Without question, this is the worst president, most corrupt president in the history of the United States of America. Without question. Welcome to The Laundry, the podcast connecting AML, compliance and financial crime to the real world. I'm your host, Marit, CEO of Strides, and in this first episode of the new year, we are predicting the fight against financial crime in 2024. In Philip K. Dick's classic science fiction novel, Minority Report, by the year 2054, future crimes are predicted and solved before they happen using psychic abilities. We're not currently there yet, but can call on specialists and experts to draw on their own experiences and look at what will be coming in financial crime and the fight against it in 2024. In today's episode, I'm joined by a great guest to discuss from OCGs to cryptocurrencies, what issues from 2023 are we not done with just yet? What threats and developments are going to shape this year? And... What should the industry's New Year resolutions be? To dive into this topic, I'm here with Maria Nisero, Research Fellow at the Center for Financial Crime and Security Studies, RUSI. Welcome to The Laundry, Maria. Thank you, Marit, and happy 2024. Yes. Uh, why don't you start by telling our listeners about you, uh, your background, and about RUSI? Yes, of course. So, as you said, I'm a research fellow at the Center for Financial Crime and Security Studies at RUSI, which stands for Royal United Services Institute. Uh, RUSI's uh, think tank is actually the oldest defense and security think tank in the world. And within RUSI, we as a center as a, at the CFCS, we specialize on the intersection between finance and security, given that we are in the 21st century. And obviously, security is not just tanks and guns, it's it's finance, it's money that goes around and funds uh, cartels, it funds even wars, uh, as we're seeing today. In terms of my background, I'm, I always say I'm a recovering academic. I have almost completed my PhD. Defense is coming up very soon uh, in international relations and international security. And also I was working in risk and compliance before joining RUSI two and a half years ago. So the oldest think tank, it kind of shows then how uh, far back this topic kind of goes and transcends time and different methods, I guess. Yeah, I, I think, you know, when my director, Tom Kittinch, decided to start a program on, on finance and financial crime back in 2014. I think that also at RUSI, you know, people were a bit confused as to why is financial crime a security matter. And then, you know, we've seen it actually even more now, like after Russian invasion of Ukraine, but very recently with what is happening, you know, in the Gaza Strip and, and Hamas and terrorist activities, what is happening in the United States with the fentanyl crisis. You know, regardless of what the security issue is, money is always behind it and so now it's actually oh of course there is a financial crime program uh in a security think tank yeah it's a matter of national security it what is. a financial crime and we see with the rise of fraud as well it's just touching right upon like our security but today we are going to predict what's uh, gonna happen in financial crime in 2024 and obviously it will build upon the things that happen in 2023 so Let's start by looking at those issues which continue to bubble away. So 
In your opinion, what are some of the biggest financial crime issues from the past year that we will continue to see into the new year? So I think all of the, you know, the, the big issues that we have talked about, not just exclusively last year, but in 2022 and 2020 after the pandemic, they're going to present themselves potentially, you know, Criminals are going to try to use new tools. I'm seeing technology, you know, having and playing a, a bigger role in 2024. But generally speaking, from fraud to just basic money laundering, you know, uh, they, they're going to uh, still be there. We're going to see potentially more sanction evasion, considering that, you know, the rolling out of sanctions by uh, multiple countries is, is increasing. And just generally speaking, anything that is more cyber enabled, we're still in an upsurge in 2024. But generally, you know, what, what has happened is we've seen over the past, not year, but couple of years, we've seen a bigger response, a stronger response from governments in terms of legislation. Now, what I'm going to see happening in 2024 is criminals trying to see how they can, you know, uh, find the loopholes in what already existed and hasn't been fixed. And also, how can they find new loopholes in what has been developed in 2023? Yeah, it's always this cat and mouse game, right? I mean, uh, legislation and uh, technology, that's not a friction in a criminal's business model. They can just adopt adopt those things without having to, to think about it. But you talked about the loopholes and stronger response. So what on the other side, like what developments in fighting financial crime from 2023 will we reap the benefits from this year? Are there any particular strong responses that you want to highlight? I think that 2023 was, you know, a very important year for campaigners, especially as relates to anti-financial crime and corruption uh, advocacy efforts. Which were the campaigners in particular? Well, aside from us, Rusi, I think, you know, there is a big role from Transparency International, uh, not just UK, the US uh, chapter has done an incredible job in working with US policymakers. One big thing that we're going to see, well, actually, we're seeing in January 2024 is uh, the Corporate Transparency Act, which will introduce in the United States, finally, beneficial ownership. So definitely, you know, we're seeing the, the, the results from a US side. From the UK side, we at RUSI, together with TI UK, uh, Spotlight on Corruption is another big one, but also all party parliamentary groups. So within government, we have worked and campaigned for the passing of the Economic Crime Act 1 and the Economic Crime Act 2, which will introduce uh, Companies House reform. For the non-UK <laughs> listeners, uh, Companies House is the bigger registry, uh, company registry in the UK. And up until basically two months ago, I would always define it as a sort of library. So you could go there, open a book and read, you know, anything that you wanted about a company. Was it true? Was it false? Nobody cared because there was absolutely no control. So there could be, you know, Peter Pan having a company. A uh, Buckingham named, Palace. A Buckingham <laughs> Palace named Neverland, you know, and his secretary was uh, named Wendy. So it was Everything was there, and it was very famous. This uh, this attempt by a journalist, you know, to he created a company named Crookedy Crooked, and nobody said anything. I guess every a lot of people in the industry has followed Graham Barrow on LinkedIn, yes. who repeatedly takes up the most incredible examples. So yeah, we did an episode with the Dame Margaret Hodge on the act, and I thought that was uh, really interesting. So both uh, Dame Margaret and, and Graham Barrow, they they have been two of the biggest campaigners. You know, they've worked with us. They're is a bigger coalition here in the UK called the Illicit Finance Working Group. And it, it's it's insane how 
cohesive uh, the response has been, you know, from our civil society. But one of uh, the things that uh, Dame Margaret Hodge pointed out when we did the episode on um, the act was that she really wanted, but they hadn't been able to put in the failure to prevent offense, basically putting in that, you know, lawyers, accountants, auditors, all those who are part of facilitating for financial crime, that wasn't put in like anything about them. You know, if they fail to prevent, they would also uh, suffer consequences. But do you have any, will that come in the next uh you know, part two a of trilogy the <laughs> of the economic crime. Uh, I mean, I, I wish there was a, a third act. I think that, you know, the, the first two acts have definitely uh, tackled a lot of the bigger issues. You know, the moment when at some point it was a, there was this thing called ping pong uh, situation in which the bill kept on being pushed between the laws. Yeah, back and forth. Exactly. And at some point, at least from the Rusi side, we were like, well, let's just move on with what we have because there was even the risk that it wouldn't pass by the end of the year. So we were happy with what's included. Was it enough? I mean, there are definitely still a lot of issues. Failure to prevent is a, is a big one. Uh, the role of enablers, you know, just yeah. generally. I think that lawyers and accountants, but not exclusively, there are many sectors. The luxury sectors, the art market uh, sector is a big one in London, in the United States, uh, in Singapore, for instance, or Switzerland. Um, there are many enablers that are still, you know, acting quite unpunished and unregulated. So definitely there is more scope in 2024 to keep on pushing. From the US side, the Enablers Act that has been advocated and campaigned by, by some of the organizations that I mentioned, that would be definitely a game changer. And the Enablers Act would introduce uh, supervision of lawyers and accountants in the United States. But why is uh, people so against putting that in the act? Why wasn't it like, oh yeah, of course, let's put it in. We know the enablers play a big part. Of course that goes in. I think at the time there was this whole issue about what can be in scope of a law. And at the time, the failure to prevent was not in scope with the way that the law had been drafted. If I if I were to, to think of what was important at the time that the bill was, was drafted, I think that obviously Companies House was the focus of everybody from policymakers to campaigners. It's a marathon, it's not a sprint, I always say. So I, I'm, I'm saying, let's be happy for what we have and let's move on you yeah. know, in 2024. I wouldn't mind that, economic no. crime act three, the return of. <laughs> in Norway, we have a very good uh, company's house, so to say, all the information is verified. You need to identity verification on uh, you know, directors and owners and these things as when you register a company, but there's still a lot of shady companies. Yesterday, I was in a meeting room at the Strice office we had someone come in and just go through all of the shady companies that they had found in Oslo. And in particular, car dealerships stood out. You know, these incredible companies where they had tripled revenue in two years, one employee. And if you kind of make the math work, it's like, oh, you have sold three luxury cars every week and you're registered in this area that doesn't have any high income people. That doesn't work at all you know we do have those companies even though we have such a great company's house yeah i think that the problem you know it's obviously you can have all the laws in the world you know the uk technically is actually not that bad in comparison to other countries but then what happens later which is the implementation you know that 
that is what actually is really lacking, the enforcement of these laws. And I think, you know, as you said, you can have the most transparent uh, company register in the world. You can have all the beneficial ownership uh, that you may, you know, wish even in your utopian dreams. But in the end, if it's not followed up by actual enforcement action, and that I'm talking about, you know, investigators, law enforcement agencies, that is when obviously the buck stops. And what happens is, in many cases, you have law enforcement agencies which are under-resourced. They don't have the money, they don't have the time, the priorities are conflicting, and so you have 10 people having to do the job of what hopefully should be 100. Yeah, that was, uh, you know, the uh, Corporate Transparency Act in the UK, it's let's reap the benefits of that in 2024, hopefully. But are there any other regulations and rulings we will see come into action this year? I think a big one will be the European Anti-Money Laundering Directive number six. Yes. It's the sixth reiteration. So obviously we, we are seeing uh, new ones. But uh, what I think will be the highlight of that, that directive will be uh, stricter rules generally speaking, uh, for uh, sanctions enforcement, there will be much more coordination on that. Civil society and journalists, in theory, will be allowed access to UBOs, so ultimate beneficial ownership registers. Another big one will be uh, there will be transaction monitoring for both cash and crypto transfers. Uh, for cash, I think it will be for se- up to 7,000 euros. And then uh, for crypto, it will be 1,000. So that obviously will increase the monitoring will increase transparency. Once again, I, as I said, it's all, it all comes down to implementation, uh, the way that it will be implemented and enacted in every single country. You know, we're talking about 27 countries. It's quite of a big deal. To ensure implementation, another big thing that is going to happen in 2024 is the creation and hopefully, you know, starting to uh, run off the uh, European Anti-Money Laundering Authority. We still don't know where it's yeah, going to it's be. it's still out. The jury is still out. The jury's still where out. would you put your money on, like where it will be? Uh, so I, I'm, an Ita- I'm Italian. So obviously I should uh, say that Rome has placed a bit. I think that Italy, it is a strong candidate in the sense that Italian authorities do have in comparison, you know, to uh, the other European countries, they definitely have a history of investigating, obviously because the issue is so big of of organised crime. They're very good at what they do. What happens is that these authorities should also, you know, be up and running from the very minute, first minute that it's implemented, like it starts. It should also be well organised. It should have the funds. It should offer also opportunities to the families of the employees that I am not sure that Rome is up for the challenge, but I really wish uh, it, it, it would come to Italy. Other good candidates are Spain. Spain was one of the few countries in Europe, but generally speaking in the global north, that scored quite positively in the Financial Action Task Force uh, Mutual Evaluation Report, which basically analyzes you know, how a country is responding to money laundering and, and terrorist financing issues. Germany, uh, Frankfurt has placed the bid. I think that Germany had a fair share of difficulties over the past two years in tackling money laundering. But who knows, maybe having the authority will actually help them to mm. be better. <laughs> so uh, Italy, Spain or Germany? Let's see. Let's, Let's see if my see. predictions are right. <laughs> Can't get enough of the laundry? Not only are we giving you a weekly podcast dishing out insights and learnings on the biggest topics in AML and compliance, but now we have our very own newsletter. 
Fresh Laundry with me, Marit, is a place for hot takes, looks behind the scenes on the latest episodes and the best recommendations in news, articles, podcasts, and more. Find the link in the episode description. Let's clean up your inbox with some fresh laundry. Let's talk about some new developments that we think will happen this year. I mean, obviously, we are in a period of heavy sanctions. Last couple of years, there's been so many sanction packages implemented. But this year, 2024, it will be interesting to see how the upcoming election in the U.S., will impact sanctions going forward. How do you see, let's say if Trump wins, how do you see the Trump government impact kind of the sanctions policy going forward? Because that will have a huge impact on people working operationally with financial crime prevention in banks all over the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that first of all, just generally speaking, we are now in the third year since Russia obviously unlawfully invaded Ukraine. And I think that countries are starting to not potentially getting tired of implementing sanctions, but they're trying to see, you know, how can sanctions be sustainable long term? And so generally speaking, this will be one of the issues that will be dealt by governments and countries in 2024. I see, for instance, some sanctions against uh, some individuals, you know, the so-called oligarchs that are currently, on, you know, under Russia uh, regulations potentially move to other sanctions regimes, for instance, like the human rights one or the anti-corruption uh, regimes, which are slightly different. What would Donald Trump, an election of Donald Trump, do to the sanctions environment? Well, <laughs> It's a slightly unpredictable in the sense it really depends on, on, on where he sees the next big threat. You know, back in 2020, it was all about China. Uh, is it still all about China or are we seeing a broader coalition uh, forming? Uh, there are new threats, all new threats, I would say. Uh, you know, what has happened in Israel with Hamas, obviously terrorist organizations have come back into the spotlight. They have slightly gone down over the past two years and now they're back at it again. And sanctions are also targeting these organizations. I think that mostly what we would need to see with Donald Trump is how the broader financial crime or anti-financial crime landscape will evolve. Uh, you know, back when he was president, he called for the repealing of the um, Foreign Policy and Corrupt Act, uh, the FCPA. Um, definitely is not going to happen uh, in the sense that now the fight against financial crime has a broader Uh, bipartisan support, so both Republicans and, and Democrats. But, you know, I'm, I'm interested in seeing where the whole anti-corruption efforts go. Will financial crime still be a national security priority? Will tackling corruption still be a national security priority under a potential Trump presidency? That I am not completely sure. It will be interesting to see. I'm also very interested, as you say, where will the threat be? Will it be China? Will it be something else? Because the Biden administration, just end of last year, they lifted some sanctions on China in order to, you know, sign of good faith, trying to collaborate more on the fight against the fentanyl crisis, because a lot of that comes from China. So establishing, you know, more collaboration on the war on drugs. And uh, yeah, I'm not sure what will happen with that relationship going forward. I think that looking at the fentanyl crisis in the United States is, is a very good point, because uh, that the whole crisis is, is highlighting how much economic crime is having impacts, you know, not just on economic security, but also national security. You know, fentanyl is now killing more people in the United States than the war in Afghanistan. 
it. So you are looking at the situation and saying, this is literally killing American citizens. How are we going to tackle those who enable this national security threat? Because, as you said, there are there is there is evidence of uh, the involvement of Chinese money laundering in the laundering, obviously, of proceeds of drug cartels. Uh, so I I think that that will definitely be how. I mean, it's such a big crisis that even you know somebody who's slightly more neutral or is trying to be a little bit more um, a geopolitical neutral exactly like it's you trying can't to deny the effect like you, you, you can't, can't no. if you walk down uh, some of the big cities in the u.s and if you're just scrolling on let's say instagram or tiktok like these or youtube you must have seen those videos popping up of like zombie landscape almost yes and and, and there is to see obviously whether it is just organized crime being organized criminals and so they do what criminals do or whether there is a broader geopolitical strategy behind there and that obviously means that there are state threats that are facilitating this crisis how the next president will interpret these events that will definitely change uh, the way that we see and and that we approach financial crime with this said i think that sanctions have potentially been a very overused tool over the past two years. So what I would hope to see potentially is, you know, moving more from sanctions to proper criminal responses. And that means more prosecutions, more anti-money laundering regulation, uh, more implementation of these regulations rather than just, you know, placing a sanction on somebody and just waiting for it to... You know, it happens with a lot of crises. We, we just have as a, as a very easy example what happened in Libya back in 2012. Lots of sanctions were imposed on Gaddafi and all his entourage. And then the attention kind of waned and sanctions were lifted. The money was dispersed. And now some of it is in South Africa. Some other is actually we don't even know where it is. Are people in Libya still suffering from the corruption and the embezzlement that happened during the Gaddafi regime? Absolutely. Are they ever going to see the assets back? Potentially not. So what I really hope is to see actually a proper implementation rather than just mere sanctions in position. You touched upon a good topic there that I want to dig into further, the like asset recovery part. You know, a lot of sanctions, money went away, but you are an expert in asset recovery. So what are your predictions in 2024 in that area? So when we talk about obviously about asset recovery, is is the final stage of the whole criminal process. So you would assume that if a criminal or somebody commits a wrongdoing and steals some money, you prosecute the person and then you get the money and you give the money back to the victims, whether it is another country or whether you know it is somebody's grandmother, like it happens, for instance, in the proceeds of fraud. Lately, asset recovery rates have been extremely low, uh, not exclusively in the UK. The US is doing slightly better. Very few countries are doing okay. And those are Italy and New Zealand, actually. Um, so I don't think we're doing great in Norway either. Not so well, actually, no. <laughs> but it's it's a general issue, you know. The, the Financial Action Task Force, which is the international watchdog, uh, back when uh, the presidency of Singapore started, they set asset recovery as a priority because what's the point of doing all these things, of all these directives and regulations, if in the end the assets are not coming back? Um, and we have seen, you know, not just uh, at the FATF level, but also the UN level, um, a broader focus. Like last last December, I was in Atlanta where there was the UN Convention Against Corruption. A big chapter is literally the recovery of proceeds of corruption and the return of the money to, to the countries. And there was, I mean, it showed that the world countries were interested in that. 
Some legislations have been passed. Again, it all comes down to enforcement. So unless you actually fund those law enforcement agencies to do their job, I'm not seeing very much the asset recovery sphere improving in 2024. I wish it did, but... Maybe for 2025. Maybe for 2025 or 2035, <laughs> if we're going at this rate. Oh, when predicting financial, the financial crime prevention space for 2024, we cannot not talk about Gen AI. It's one of those themes that's, you know, that's been on everyone's mind the last the last year since it came out. And uh, again, it's for sure something that criminals have started using already because they don't have to worry about regulations. And yet I don't think anyone working in financial crime prevention had their work transformed by Gen AI yet. And for 2024, it will be interesting to see because the EU just agreed to the landmark legislation on responsible use or the EU AI Act. How do you think this will affect 2024? Is it a situation where it's like, yes, we have regulation, let's just start using AI now? Or is the legislation a bit ahead of itself? No one is using AI for financial crime prevention yet. And yet we have legislation. How should banks and other financial institutions relate to this? I think, you know, it's something that you said at the beginning. It's a bit of a game of the cat and the mouse, isn't it? So if criminals have started using it, at some point we know that we will have to use it. So there is a, a place, there is a role to play for AI in, in this bigger machine. Uh, the EU has been quite a pioneer, I'd say, probably has seen the threat as bigger than what it is at the moment, I think that right now it's more of a sort of embryonic state. Uh, but as you said, we are seeing right now, you know, some instances of criminals using it. And the moment that ChatGPT, for instance, or other uh, generative uh, AI tools started popping up, I myself as an expert started thinking, you know, sort of minority report, like, as you said, how, if I were a criminal, how could I use it? And unfortunately for me, a lot of ideas came <laughs> yes, to my mind. Same. It's like, <laughs> oh, I, now I can. Oh, this can get so much better. I can do scamming so much better. Exactly. I can create synthetic identities. There's so many things I now can do. And there is also a lot of, you know, what somebody, a criminal, could learn by looking at previous examples. You know, for instance, just talking about sanctions and sanction evasions, we know that some countries are learning from countries that have been sanctioned for a long time to see how and what are the best practices for evading. If you have an AI tool that learns from these previous instances, that's obviously much easier. But I'm trying to see it also in a sort of more positive way because yes, the criminals can learn, but so can we. And I think that there is definitely, as I said, a role to play. Uh, there is much more, it could be easier to you know, detect for instance, you know, if there is there are these synthetic identities, let's teach them how to detect these synthetic identities. What I think we haven't really talked about, like even when we talk about the directive, etc., is how we can include these companies much more in the conversations. Because, for instance, the the EU directive, it in, like it requires these foundation models to comply with transparency obligations, to be more transparent about how, for instance, they they learn and they train their tools, but. How about including them in the conversation as to how can these tools help governments, law enforcement agencies to catch the criminals? You know, that's that's the the, the real 
change that would happen. That would allow us to be, rather than the game of the cat and the mouse, to, to actually us being the dog. In True. <laughs> sort of a so do you think then 2024 will be the year where the regulators, the bank's financial institutions work together and they care about stopping financial crime and we move away from Oh, are we compliant? Well, I mean, I always say that the main issue is not seeing compliance as a box-ticking exercise. It will all depend, like this this thing, I wish it would happen, that we're seeing, you know, a more whole-of-a-system response in which private sector, public sector, academia, everybody's just working together. In the terms of the AI, in the context of AI, I think it will all depend on where the leaders of the different countries, how open they are to change, to new technologies, whether they are scared or not of these changes, because obviously it would change, you know, having somebody who's a bit young, who has an experience in technology, who knows a little bit about what is happening behind the curtains of the private sector in comparison to somebody potentially from an older generation who has seen, you know, these computers and is terrified of computers and doesn't even know what they are. So, you know, I, I, I always think sometimes there are these commissions uh, that, you know, the US commissions or the UK parliamentary commissions. And sometimes politicians ask very, very weird questions. You know, what is this thing? You know, there was the one with um, Mark Zuckerberg, for instance, on how Facebook works. Mr. Zuckerberg, would you be comfortable sharing with us the name of the hotel you stayed in last night? Um, uh, no. And they were asking some, like, some extremely weird questions, or at least they would sound weird to you if we used social media. So I think that now what we're, we have to see is whether these politicians are going to be savvy about AI or whether they're just, you know, facing it and seeing it as a, something so terrifying they don't even want to talk about it anymore. I think I would want for the new year for all the regulators to be uh, forgiving and give a grace period to banks and financial institutions and be, you know what, 2024, this is the year we will all go in, work together, implement this new technology, and we care less about the checkbox compliance, but we will together work out how to stop financial crime in the best way. But uh, we are coming to the end of the episode, so we are going to dish out some quick-fire questions for you and me. So what would be the one word you would use to define the fight against financial crime in 2024? Necessary. AI-driven. <laughs> <laughs> what is the one thing missing right now that stops first- and second-line operators operating as effectively as they could? Coordination. Automation. And what is the one biggest threat which most people still don't know about? Lack of political will. Mm, good one. I read this morning that quantum computing can be a threat because it will uh, be able to break the cryptography that's used in financial systems, etc. So, you know, it could cause a havoc. But, you know, maybe, maybe people don't know about this, but... Fortunately, a few years down the line. How you're being very technical and you said I'm going more towards the values. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, final one, what should be the New Year's resolution of the AML and compliance industry? 
enforcement. Oh, what will be mine? Again, I'm going <laughs> to reuse my first quote. My first one is like, we are going to be AI driven. Nice. All right. That brings the spin of the laundry to an end. Maria, thank you so much for joining me. Where can people find out more about you and connect with you? You can go on the RUSI website. You can follow the Center for Financial Crime and Security Studies on LinkedIn, Twitter, social media. You name it. Money makes a world go round. Money makes a world go round. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to go check out the back catalog and follow The Laundry on your podcast platform of choice or subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please also leave a review. We really appreciate those. It really helps other people to find out about the podcast. To get in touch with me or the Laundry team, you can comment on the Strice LinkedIn page, send me a direct message on LinkedIn or email to laundry at strice.ai. Your host for this episode was me, Maritz. Our producer was Matthew Dunn-Miles. Our engineers were Andrea Busco and Dominic Delargy. The Laundry is proudly produced by Strice, the AML automation cloud. If you're looking for an effective AML solution for your organization, you should go visit strice.ai. See you next time. Money makes a world go round. Yeah, money make a world go round.